Thanks, all of you. Yeah, let's pray as we turn to God's word. <clears throat> Father, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my lip be pleasing to you. Father, would you help us to focus on your word? Remove distractions from our minds. Would you teach us your way, O oh Lord, that we may walk in your truth with your entire hearts to fear your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a, a moment when your perspective changes completely on something? Maybe something as simple as a TV show. Your, your mates or your siblings or your other half, they've been on and on and on and on to you to watch some type of TV show. Uh, they think it's great, but you look at it and you don't think, eh, it doesn't really appeal to me. And then one night when you're bored and you've watched every other show that Netflix has ever produced and you've gone and even watched your parents' VHSs, you've gone through the DVDs in the house, you decide to give this show a go that everybody's been recommending to you. You've got nothing better to do. You give in. You give it a shot. This has happened to me for years and years. My brother has been on to me to watch a certain TV show. He thinks it's the best TV show of all time. And I was like, eh, it doesn't sound that great. But they, then on a day off, when all my mates were busy, <laughs> I say that because I've got no mates, and I had nothing else to do, I gave in and I clicked that play button. And 30 seconds into Luther, I was hooked. Not only is Idris Elba drop-dead gorgeous, I mean, look at him. Whoa. The drama is unbelievable. I love crime dramas, and this show has loads of crime. It's got really great crime in it, not that I'm recommending crime, and it's got fantastic drama. Please take him off, sure, he's going to distract me. Um, watching Luther gets my heart beating faster, even, even faster than when I run up the stairs. It's such a great show. I think it's one of the best things this world has to offer. And as I started watching this show that's been recommended to me, I thought to myself, how am I only watching this now? Every other TV show that I've ever watched, it's like the Teletubbies in comparison. Where has this been all my life? Watching Luther gave me a complete shift in perspective. Tonight we're looking at chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, the, the final chapter of this letter. And Paul is he's wrapping up his letter. And, and when he is doing this, he's giving the Christians in Thessalonica final instructions in light of everything he's already written. Basically, he's asking them, he's urging them, change your perspective in light of what you've been taught and live life in the light of this new mindset. To live the Christian life, that life when lived out as God commands us to, when we live that life, you think, whoa, why, why haven't I always lived like this? Where has this way of life been all my life so far? You know, that's not to say when we follow Jesus, we will experience uh, the feeling of complete fulfillment here and now, but, but you will have fullness of joy. Here, here's what Paul has taught the Thessalonians so far and what he's taught us. He's reminded us of God's faithfulness to us. He's reminded us of the deep, real, meaningful bond that you, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, that you have in the gospel with other believers. And then recently we've heard how he's encouraged the Thessalonians and us to live holy lives in light of the, the day of the Lord approaching. In other words, because soon and very soon, 
Our every need will be met eternally in Jesus if we trust in Jesus when we are with him in glory. No longer will we be incomplete. No longer will we feel incomplete. Because of all this, Paul says, live lives that glorify God and help others to do that as well. Verse 11 that we looked at last week, Paul writes this, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Part of Christianity is accepting that responsibility that we have to one another and living with this new perspective that the Christian life is the only life worth living. It's the only way of life. Every other way of life peels in comparison to a life that is holy for Jesus, for others, lived in light of eternity to come. In our passage today, we're going to see just three things, how we can practically live with this changed perspective. As Paul lays out these three things um, this new perspective brings, it tells us that we have a responsibility to those above us, we have a responsibility to those around us, and we have a responsibility to ourselves as well. Verses 12 and 13. Read it with me. He says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, no matter who you are, what position you are in in life, you're always going to have someone who's above you. Um, someone who's in charge. Think of the way school works, okay? Um, you know, so you have like the first years through fourth years. If that's you, you're a pleb, right? In the school system, you're just unimportant. You might think you're like king of the, the school when you're in third year, but then you're going to go to fourth year and, and go straight to the bottom of the food chain again. Fourth years, they're disgusting, right? Then there's fifth years who are like fourth years, but with more confidence. Ugh. Um, and then there's, then there's a shift when you go to sixth form, if you go to sixth form. People who, who go to sixth form, they think they're class. Uh, they think they're in charge, but they're, they're really not because you have the lower six who are just about better than fifth years, but they're not as good as the upper six. But then in the upper six, they're not even all in charge because there's a subset of suck-ups called prefects, uh, and, and they're in charge of them. But in charge of them, there's senior prefects. Uh, now, when it comes to senior prefects, head girl, head boy, their deputies, you know, their posse, they think they're in charge of school for all of 30 seconds uh, until they realize they're just the teacher's slaves who get landed with all the jobs that the teachers don't want to do. And then there's the teachers, the senior teachers, the board of governors, and on it goes. There's always someone above you. The Christian life's no different. It's no different. There's always going to be someone who's above you in your Christian walk, someone who's more mature, Someone who's a little bit farther on in their faith. Someone who is gifted in ways and has character traits that mean they're going to be a leader in God's community. Now, in Paul's context in 1 Thessalonians, those who are laboring among and over the people, that we're talking about the pastors here, the ministers, the elders of the church. Those are the people that have been appointed by God to lead others. Now, we have those people, too, in our churches. I hope and pray that you are part of a church. We have pastors, we have ministers, hopefully elders, too, who work really, really hard to ensure that the gospel is faithfully preached week in, week out. They work really, really hard to direct you and me in how we follow Jesus faithfully in our everyday lives. And they work really hard to love us well. Because I think if we're honest, sometimes 
you and I, we're a bit unlovable. This work Paul says, it's really hard. He says it's laborious. It takes all their effort. Now, I know this firsthand from my pastor, the minister of the church that meets here on Sundays. I work alongside him. And I don't think I know anybody who works harder than him. He has to work hard to prepare sermons, maybe sometimes three a week. And that doesn't just happen. That takes a bit of effort. And on top of that, he has to go to meetings upon meetings that are no crack, let me tell you. He has to go visit old people. He has to conduct funerals. He has to bury people. He has to visit sick. He has to baptize babies. He has to marry people. And that he conducts marriages, not marries them himself. And all the rest of it. On top of raising his own family. And you might think, whoa, that's a lot of all. Of course, of course we respect someone like that. But we don't, do we? I mean, I mean, naturally, we don't. Why? Well, because of authority. Naturally, you and I, whether we admit it or not, we like to be in charge. If everything was how we wanted it to be, we think, all would just be perfect, right? Whether that's a formal, a birthday, a party, a relationship. If I got my way, if I was in charge, it would just be great. Just watch The Apprentice, right? You have a project manager in front of, like, in charge of five team members who all think that their way would be better, and it always ends up being an absolute disaster that makes great television. So when someone else is in charge of us, naturally, we're not too happy. Our inclination isn't to respect them, but it's to think, well, actually, you know, that's not how I would do it. And then we don't naturally respect our leaders because of that word there, admonish, the third line down. To admonish someone means to reprimand someone, right? To rebuke or to warn. The duties of those who are above you in the Lord, in other words, include calling you out on your sin. Nobody in the history of humanity has, when being told off, thought, you know what, I really respect this guy's stance on my sin. I'm really glad he's telling me off right now. No, your response when you're getting a rollicking from your parents is to either come out with some, you know, sly comeback that you think's really witty, or more, more often than not, think of that maybe half an hour later, or you whip out the stink guy, or, or what I remember doing was you just don't eye contact at all, and you think, this guy's an idiot. Have you, ever, like, have you ever told off a dog for doing something wrong? I had a black Labrador who always stole my neighbor's shoes. And, and you'd say, Max. And he'd walk to you like, who me? Sort of couldn't make eye contact. Nobody, nobody likes being admonished. And we need admonished. We need called out. This is necessary for us to keep going in the Christian faith. So God places people who are more mature than us in charge of us to help us regain the perspective of the Christian life. That's not an easy job. It's not easy to be responsible for the spiritual welfare of others. There's actually nothing more awkward and difficult than having a conversation with someone you love, calling them out in their sin. But you only have those conversations to remind people of the Christian life that it's the only life worth living. 
Life is only worth living if you live it for God. You know, Jesus didn't die for us so that we would continue to wallow around in the muck and mire of our own sin, but he died and raised raised himself to life again to lift us out of that, to let us share in his perfection and the power of his resurrection life. And so God places people in charge of us. Ministers, pastors, elders, but also, you know, people like Gilly, who's labored here at CE for years for the benefit of young people in Portadown. There are teachers in your school who make SUs possible. There are youth leaders in your churches who sacrifice time and money and effort, and let me tell you, sleepless nights spent praying for you for your good. Let me ask you, who are the people in your life that God has given you that you just need to give thanks to him for? We're to love those people. Not snark about them and do something we don't like. We're to respect those people, not just with words, but by actually listening to what they have to say to us and living the life that they're helping us to live in which God tells us is full of joy and life. We have a responsibility to love those above us, love and respect them. But we also have a responsibility, verses 14 to 15, for those around us. Let's read it. It's on the screen. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You know, the responsibility of helping Christians live the Christian life doesn't just belong to professional Christians, you know, those people that we pay to pray. It belongs to everyone. Verse 14, Paul shifts his focus by saying, and we urge you, brothers. He's saying, yo, this is your responsibility too. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're a Christian, you're going to have people around you, maybe those who aren't as mature in their faith, who will need your help. There are people that need admonished, so the people that we need to call out on their sin, people who need to talk to about the way that they're living their life. There's going to be people who need encouraged, those guys who are having a tough and just need a helping hand to see that Jesus is worth it, and those who need help. And you're going to have people who maybe need all three. They need admonished, encouraged, and helped. God tells us through Paul here that those people around us in our churches, in our schools, in CE, they are our responsibility. We need to be patient when we're dealing with them, but we need to do something. We can't just sit back and do nothing. I think this is something people your age really need to hear. I don't think this is something we really get. Our responsibility for others in the faith Yet we bring people to see or whatever. We do small groups. We invite people to the church. And you're to be really encouraged for that. Honestly, we're super proud of you the way you do that. But are we actually pursuing the good of others we know who label themselves as Christians? Are we striving to help them see that the Christian life is worth it, that there's real joy in Christ, and one day there will be everlasting life and joy and fullness with Christ. I think the biggest regret of my, well, life, is when I was at school, I didn't, I didn't live this out. 
I watched so many friends sit in this room listening to really good teaching from the front. And I just watched them have their heads turn. Whether that was by the party life, whether that was just by the ease of not following Jesus, or so they thought. And most of the time, let me be honest, sex. I watched so many friends just waltz out that door, just waltz out of Christianity, thinking that God was going to ruin their lives. How sad is that? And they thought that the world was going to complete their every longing. That's possibly sadder. They lost perspective. They didn't see that the joy that eternity would bring. They didn't realize how good the good news of Jesus Christ is and life lived for him actually is. You know, essentially what they did was this. On one hand, they took a Saturday night drunk as a skunk, a Sunday morning wasted in bed, They took the ease of not actually having to do anything to find joy and fulfillment. And quite often they took the pleasure promised by spending the night with someone at a stupid formal. And they weighed this up against the weight of glory that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus Christ returns or calls us home and the fullness of joy and life and meaning that he gives now and the complete fulfillment that you and I will once have and they wear them up against each other and somehow this hand won. They opted for the disgusting lies of promises of pleasure instead of life-changing, life-impacting, life-giving truth. You know, I said, you know, somehow they came to that decision, but really, why? Why? Because I did nothing, and neither did my Christian friends. My mates who drifted off, they were allowed to drift off unopposed. If, If you love Jesus, let me beg you, don't make the same mistake I did. You see, when you see friends begin to flirt with and then get real serious with sin, that's going to destroy them. And let me tell you, that's exactly what it's going to do. Don't just sit back and talk trash about them. But Paul Paul says, verse 15, don't repay evil with evil, but do good to them. So remind those people who need the good news of Jesus Christ of the good news of Jesus Christ. Try and help them see that Jesus and all that he gives is so infinitely worth it. When you have friends who have been battered by the storms of life, that they're so downhearted like Pumbaa once was in The Lion King, don't ignore them. And don't just give them empty advice like Hakuna Matata, well, don't worry about it. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the help that he offers. Here and now, point them to the eternal place that he will bring us to where there will be no more suffering or sorrow or pain. It's our duty to help others see that this is the only way to live for Jesus. It's so easy to do nothing. But if we understand the Christian life is absolutely the only way of life, that in God is the true happiness that can be found, well, we 
need not to be idle to sit about, but we need to get off our backsides and help those around us. Suck up your pride and talk to that friend that you're actually worried about. Sacrifice an evening of mindless scrolling to spend time listening to and encouraging that friend who's having it really rough. Think of the sacrifice made for you by Jesus Christ. He gave up his life so that we could be forgiven. And then he said, go and sin no more. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us on. And in his resurrection, he promises that this life and the death we'll have, that's not the end, but there's so much more to come. He admonishes us, he encourages us, and he helps us, and he demands that we do the same for others. We are to respect those around us. We're to love them. We're to help them. We're to encourage them. We have responsibility to those above us, those around us, and to ourselves. Verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I've said it a lot tonight, but I'll say it again. The Christian life is the only way of actually living there is. Look at those verses. Look at those verses on the screen. Like, seriously, what other worldview or way of living could ever say this? We live in a world that is bitter and divided. Just go on Facebook, click on the comment section and anything that's vaguely political or related to sport. Go on Twitter and look at the debates you'll see that there is absolutely no joy to be found in this world. You'll be told that you have to hate those who disagree with you. You'll be told that if you suffer and show it, then you're weak. You'll be told that a life lived for God is dull and lifeless and even maybe oppressive. And to rely on anything other than your own strength, wisdom, ability, to rely on who you think you are is foolish. We live in a world that promises pleasure but can never back up those promises. And so people are downcast and depressed, whether they show it or not, and they sigh and they ask, why me? What's the point? That's the only perspective you can have if you're outside of Jesus. Compare that to the words on the screen. Continually be full of joy. Always take the opportunity to talk to the God of this universe who created you because he hears you. Be thankful for everything that comes your way, hardships and good times, because God has given those things to you for your good. And here isn't all there is for you. You know, we're not to take these uh, so literally that all we do is pray and never do anything else, um, like some sort of freakish monks. Um, I worked with a guy um, in a fruit and veg shop who uh, mid-conversation would go like that and then continue talking to you. And then five minutes later, he'd go like that because of his understanding of this verse. He was praying without ceasing. Um, We're not to do that. That is weird, okay? Uh, We're just to have a change of perspective from that of the world to that of God's people. It's a perspective change. It's a change in mindset. God never gives his people a task that he does not also enable them to do. So when we're told to rejoice and be thankful and pray, that is because we are able to do that by what Jesus has achieved for us. By sharing his life with us, by dying and rising, he gives us himself. 
Jesus Christ, the one in whom joy was created and found. He gives us his Holy Spirit so we can pray. And Jesus himself is at the Father's right hand interceding for us. He prays for us himself. And everything that we come across in this life, Jesus tells us, is for our spiritual good. So we can thank him for all that he gives, all that we're tested by, and everything that comes our way. In everything that we do, we're led by others. And we need to respect them and love them. In everything that we do, we're surrounded by others that we need to lovingly help in their faith. And when we journey through this life in our own individual walks of faith, we'll be people who are prayerful, people who are rejoicing, and people who are thankful, even though this life is hard. Because the Christian life is living to the full. And the destination that we're headed to is glorious. Where we will have every single one of our needs met more abundantly than you could ever dream of. Let me ask you, what's your perspective this evening? Is this life a bit of a drag? Or is it, even though it's tough, full of joy because of Jesus? He is the only one in whom life worth living is found. So do you trust him? Is he yours? Are you living for Jesus? If not, let me, let me urge you, put your faith in him tonight. Repent of your sin and believe in him for life and life to the full. If you've done that, well, love those above you. Love those around you. And love the Lord always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we thank you that you are faithful. Your love endures. We thank you that you are the God in whom life is found, that you are worth living for. We thank you for those who you've placed above us to encourage us. And propel us forward in our walks with you. Lord, help us to love those men and women and respect them greatly. And let them know that we love them too. Father, we thank you for those around us. Those around us whom you've given us to help us. And those around us who we can help. Father, would you give us the courage that we need to have difficult conversations? Would you give us the courage we need to encourage others? Would you give us wisdom and discernment that we can have the right conversations, that we'll have the right words, and that we'll point people to you? And Father, would we live this life with a perspective of joy? Would you help us to know deep within our hearts that you are worth it? Father, help us to leave this place living lives that glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name.